0: So last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is the day we commemorate Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. A donkey that had never been ridden. And yet uh, when Jesus showed up, uh, that donkey became a docile servant, carried Jesus into Jerusalem. On the same day of the year, that the Jewish people selected their Passover lamb, commemorating the Passover when uh, Israel came out of Egypt. and uh, But that day they, they uh, selected their lamb. They found no blemish in him. And they did things that they didn't understand with their minds. They shouted and danced and and put palm leaves down for him to ride over. And they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, son of David. And Hosanna means save us, oh, save us. Hosanna means save, oh, save. And so they were selecting the lamb who would pay the price for all of their sins. And uh, so he celebrated Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And he demonstrated to them a more excellent ministry. He gave them and us his body that was broken for us. He gave them his blood, the cup, the blood that ratified a better covenant which was established on Better Promises. And he's the mediator of that new covenant. As Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, so Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was a picture of Jesus. And Jesus came as our high priest and also as our king. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because he doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. And all the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. The law, it says in the book of Hebrews, was changed to accommodate someone who came with a better priesthood and a better ministry. So that he could come from the tribe of Judah, not only be our king, but also be our high priest. So he's the mediator of that covenant. He demonstrated what leadership looks like in his administration by washing the feet of his disciples. He said, this is what it looks like. If you want to be great, you need to serve. If you want to be first, you need to be a bondservant. Then he identified his betrayer. The one who would hurt him deeper than any other the one he'd poured his life into for three and a half years, who would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver because he didn't do it the way that he thought he should do it. Judas thought he should go and challenge Roman government and set up his government, and because he didn't do that, Judas turned against him because he didn't understand him. Judas... didn't develop an intimate relationship, but he became familiar with him. Familiarity breeds contempt. I'm I'm guessing Jesus probably may have had bad breath sometimes. He was human. He probably did and said some things that offended Judas somewhere along the way in a way that he thought you know, the Savior, the Messiah of the world wouldn't, wouldn't be like this guy, would have no human flaws or weaknesses, and yet he was in a human body, all without sin, but he was in a human body. We, scripture says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. and That's why we have to see with the eyes of the Spirit in order to identify where the presence of God is, where the treasure is within earthen vessels. Because we've got to see past the frailty of the flesh or we're going to be offended. There's people who are offended by me. I don't know if you knew that or not. I know that's hard to imagine. Because I've got rough edges. I've got quirks and ways. My wife knows them probably better than anyone. Um. And, and, and yet she knows that my heart is after the Lord and there's nothing fake about my passion to serve him and to know him and to be faithful and obedient to him. And so she's been able to see past the earthen vessel and see the treasure. And we need to be able to see that in each other. How did I get there? I don't know. Judas. Scripture says in Psalm 41.9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The one who sat down and communed with the Lord sold him out. He was tried in a Roman court, and they found no fault in him. Religious leaders demanded his execution. Religion can always find something to condemn you for. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but probably everyone in this place has experienced the judgment of religion at one time or another. Religion has standards of righteousness that even Jesus couldn't live up to. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But they'll find something. To condemn you for. Religion does. Because that's the nature of the religious spirit. It elevates righteousness at a level that even God himself couldn't live up to. Because it's skewed. It's perverted. It's twisted. doesn't see clearly. Religion judges by perfectionism. Let me go down that little rabbit trail just for a minute. Perfectionism is not excellence perfectionism is moved by a spirit that torments us and that's what religion does it demands perfection which is not what the kingdom of heaven is about the kingdom of heaven is about excellence but it's not perfectionism perfection to god looks completely different from our from what if we're seeing through the lens of perfectionism it looks completely different if we look through the lens of perfectionism everything has to be in its place everything has to be quiet everything has to be in order i've been in enough churches where perfectionism rules to know that some of the coldest places on earth is where god used to be kids aren't allowed to be kids Right, Because they're messy. They were around Jesus all the time, and he was cool. They're sticky. (laughs) They're noisy. Right? But if you value new life, you'll see excellence where children are free to run and play, where perfectionism is tormented. I know because I used to be under a spirit of perfectionism and it tormented me. And I know what it is to be free from that. Jacob describes the cruelty of religion in Genesis 49. Verse 5, 6. He said, Simeon and Levi are brothers Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let my, not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Now, Levi here represents religion. Religion. His tribe is where the priesthood of Aaron would come from. One of the greatest tests that you will ever face is how you recover from the cruelty of the judgment and, re- and rejection of religious leaders. I've, I've shared some testimony before of some of the stuff that we went through on our way out of religious system because of Uh, cruel uh, punishment from religious leaders and how it devastated our lives. It took us years to recover from. But praise God we were able to. We were able to forgive and we were able to love. But it was their judgment that took Jesus to the cross. It was the judgment of religious leaders. The Roman soldiers were the ones who carried the sword and the hammer but it was religious leaders that commanded them to crucify the Lord. It was their cruelty that crucified the Prince of Glory. But our sin united us with them and helped put him there. Just like Simeon united in the cruelty of Levi when they hamstrung an ox. Now, hamstringing an ox is just mean. I don't know if you've ever been around people that are just mean to animals because they can be, or because they're in a bad mood, but there's no good reason for it. An ox is not a a military animal. You know, it was a military strategy to hamstring a, a horse because then they couldn't be used in battle. But to hamstring an ox, that was just meanness. That was just pure meanness. They did it for fun. And Jacob uh, would not bless them because of their cruelty. Simeon is a picture of you and me. Our sin partnered with religious leaders in crucifying the Lord. He went along with it. And so he was judged for it as well. We went along with putting the Lord on the cross because our sin put him there. Not just the religious leaders of his day. We were in the same boat with the religious leaders who condemned Jesus. He went there carrying my sin and your sin. It wasn't just the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Jewish leaders. It was us. We did it. He went there carrying our sin, carrying all of our brokenness, All of our pain, all of our sickness and disease, all of our poverty, all of our rejection, all of our shame, they stripped him naked and hung him on a cross, and he bore that so that he could pay the price to set us free from all the shame that we've ever carried. Because shame came as a counterfeit of glory. We were created to be clothed with glory. And when the glory departed, when man sinned, shame came and took its place. And Jesus paid the price for shame to be lifted off of us and for us to be restored to glory. All of us sinned and came short of the glory. Jesus paid the price for us to be restored. What a Savior. Simeon is a picture of us and our sin partnering with the religious leaders. The ox is a picture of Jesus, a righteous man who came to serve us without an aggressive bone in his body against any of us. An ox has no aggression. An ox is simply a beast of burden that came to serve. Yet we and the religious leaders crucified him. And on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what to do. Not only did he forgive, he asked the Father to forgive. And and he demonstrated the path to freedom for every one of us. No matter how much we've been hurt, no matter how much we've been rejected, no matter how much we've been damaged by the abuse of people, he demonstrated how to forgive. Not only I forgive them, but Father, forgive them. In other words, we're going to tear up their IOU. We're going to set them free because you set us free. It's interesting that in John 20, uh, 20, 21, the first thing that Jesus did after the resurrection, when he appeared to the disciples, was he said, um whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins they retain, they are retained. In other words, now you have the power to forgive. The first place, the first thing. Now that you've experienced the forgiveness of God, they weren't born again before. But in that passage, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. They were born again. just They received new life, just like Adam received life when God breathed into him. They were born again, and they said, now, whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. In other words, you now have a new heart. You're able to do something that none of your ancestors under the law of Moses were able to do. Jesus talked about the hardness of their hearts under Moses. But now you have a new heart. You have a heart that can forgive. Forgiveness isn't just from here. It's from here. It's from the heart. Now you have the power to forgive when someone sins against you. And when you do, that sin cannot take root in you. Up until then, the law of physics was in place that says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Every time someone sins against you, you react against them. You perpetuate the same sin that was committed. But at the cross, all of that ended. All of that ended through forgiveness. You now have the power to release people when they sin against you. And when you do, that sin cannot take root in you. It's released. That, that cycle is broken by the power of the cross. Let's go to Luke 24. And I'll start reading in verse 1. Luke 24, 1. Now, on the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Why do you suppose they're... Garments were shining. They had just been with the Lord in all His resurrection glory. His glory was on them. You can tell when people just been with the Lord because there's glory on them. And then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when we were still, when he was still in Galilee saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day rise again. So the angels here represent a picture of Moses' tabernacle where there was in the holy of holies there was an angel on each side of the mercy seat. And the glory was between them. The the, the the, the, the Shekinah, the, the tangible presence of God, illuminated the Holy of Holies. And, uh, and yet, that whole administration of Aaron's priesthood, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, was a ministry of death. Why? Because people had to pay for their sin. The soul that sins, it must die. Certain sins could be covered from year to year. Others you had to die for. That place of death gave birth to new covenant resurrection life. The tomb became a womb. Sarah's barren womb, old and dead, gave birth to new life. That's the picture. Sarah's womb was dead. She was barren. She could never have children. And then she was too old to have children. And then her husband was way too old to have children. So God did at least three miracles in order for Sarah to have Isaac. He did one in breaking her barrenness, one in, in, in causing her to be able to have conceive way past the time when she could, you could normally receive, 90 years old. And Abraham, 99 or 100 years old, she laughed at the thought of him being able to give her a baby. That was really why she laughed. And so Isaac means laughter. After all these years of waiting... After they had exhausted all their efforts at helping God out. How many of you been there? We, we thought, man, we've got to make this happen before it's too late, right? God made a promise, so we, we blew it somewhere. So let's see if we can make this happen, right? I've been there. After they'd exhausted all their efforts at helping God out. God started doing miracles, and Isaac came forth. After the Jewish people had given up hope that their Messiah would come, 400 years of silence when God didn't speak to them as a people before John the Baptist came on the scene. And all of a sudden, God starts doing miracles. And here comes Jesus out of that tomb. The son of promise had finally come. And the only begotten of the Father was born. Isaiah 9 6 says, A child was born, and a son was given. He was born of Mary as the last legal descendant of Adam. When he said it's finished, there was a whole bunch that was finished legally. The dominion that sin had over the race of Adam and the corruption and everything else it brought into officially ended on that day. You might say, well, why are we still experiencing that stuff then? Because it's by faith that we appropriate those things into our life and practice. So there's always been this tension between the promise and the process. And the process is the process of faith where we begin to come into experientially what had been promised and provided for long ago. He was born out of that tomb as the first of a new species that had never existed before. He was born twice. He was born physically with with Mary And then he was born again when he resurrected out of that tomb as the first of a whole new species that had never existed. The firstborn, the only begotten of the Father. All of heaven watched in excitement and anticipation as he burst forth out of that tomb. Every other son of God was created. This one was born. This one carried the Father's own DNA in him. Because he died, you died. You died to all that you were. All your sin nature, all your slave and victim mentality, all your brokenness and poverty, all of your sickness and generational depravity, because he was raised in resurrection life, you were raised in him into new life. You were in him when he died, and you were in him when he resurrected. And he became the firstborn of many brethren. The only begotten of the Father started a new species. The species of Christ. Christ. There's really, from heaven's perspective, only two races on the planet. And that's the race of Adam and the race of Christ. Hebrews 2.10 says, "'It was fitting for him, for whom are all things "'and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory.'" And by the way, sons there is not a gender-specific term. It includes sons and daughters because daughters, in essence, are female sons in the kingdom because in the kingdom there's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. And so it applies equally whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He wasn't raised into the same life that he had before. You know, there were resurrections that happened before, there were resurrections that happened in the Old Testament. You know, the Shunammite woman's son was one, but there were others. There was a man that, there was, a man that was raised from the dead when Elisha's bones were put into the tomb and bumped against the carcass. That dead carcass came to life. How would you like to be so saturated with the presence of God that your body goes to the funeral home and it res- resurrects somebody else to life? Why not? Because the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And John was greater than all who came before him. So That means you and I can have more resurrection life and power and glory in us than anyone in the Old Testament did. But Jesus wasn't raised into the same life he had before. Those who knew him before didn't recognize him now. Listen, when you become born again, something happens to you that if you allow the resurrection life and power and and presence of God to have its way in your life, people won't even recognize you anymore. I had that happen before. People who knew me before I was born again didn't recognize me. I, I I remember this one woman in particular, a religious woman. We went to church together. I went up to her and introduced myself. No, I don't know you. Like... Whatever. (laughs) You're not the same anymore. But now you have the power to choose which life you're going to develop, how you're going to forgive, how you're going to love. There is no limit to how much of the presence of God you can come into by the choices that you make every day to choose him first, to say no to things that take his presence from you. There's no limit. You were not raised into the same life either. You were raised into a brand new one, a new life with a new nature, a new future, and a greater destiny is what he raised you into. Matthew 28, verse 16, says the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So after the resurrection, Jesus had appointed a place for them, a mountain they were to go up to. Isaiah 2 2 says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains, and she'll be exalted above the hills. There's a mountain that God has appointed us to, now that we've come into resurrection life, and it's the mountain of the Lord's house. The Lord's house is also a mountain. The mountain represents dominion. God gave Adam dominion in the beginning. Dominion is restored in Christ that we lost. Dominion is restored to us where we never have to live the life of a victim again. We can become overcomers, every one of us, by facing the challenges day to day that we face and choosing to overcome them and go through them and never to be victimized by something that oppressed us before. We can choose to live the life of an overcomer and all the promises that you read in scripture are for the overcomers, they're not for the victims. No matter what kind of a mess you inherited, you can face your challenges, you can walk through them instead of running from them or avoiding them or trying to uh, sweep them under the carpet. problem with sweeping things under the carpet is after a while we trip over the carpet. Right? Jesus paid the price for us to be able to heal, to be healed. Listen, every part of your life is designed by God To help you face things that you need to face. Overcome things you need to overcome. Conquer things that have whooped you in the past. Right? And to empower you to live your life as a powerful son or daughter of God. I don't know about, I could stand here and I could tell you a list of things that there, there was a time when I thought there's no way that I could ever do those things. There is absolutely no way. That is too hard. It's too intimidating. It's too whatever. And the Lord knows how to set you free from those things and in every area where you were weak and helpless before make you an overcoming son or daughter of the kingdom. I don't know why, I experienced some of the things right out of the chute that some people have a hard time struggling to come into. I didn't accept. Maybe it was the, the the depth of my sin and brokenness and the level of my surrender. But when I was born again, I was instantly delivered of addiction to drugs. Never wanted to touch them again. Never, never again. Never had a desire to again. I hate drugs to this day. There were things, uh, I, I used to cuss. I know that's hard to imagine because most of you probably never heard me say a cuss word. Uh, but I used to have a filthy mouth before I knew the Lord. And in January 26 of 1986, Jesus gave me a new life and he instantly cleaned up my mouth. I've never had a problem, I've never had to struggle with cuss words. He instantly cleansed my mouth and took away my desire to even use the cuss word. Gave me new language. And Amanda and I have kind of debated this thing over the years and she's like, she she just thinks, she used to think that you have to have been as much of a sinner as I was to experience the level of forgiveness that I did. She's come to understand, no, it's the level of revelation that you have of how much forgiveness you need and how much, that that is the issue. It's not how much of a sinner you are. We were all sinners. I mean, how can you quantify a sinner? You know what I mean. We were we were all headed for hell. We were all born with with that judgment over us, and we were a ticking time time bomb uh, on a march to death from the moment we were born as a sinner, as a and as a descendant of the race of Adam. Every one of us, and so it's not. How much of a sinner that you were, it's how much you realize that you were a sinner and how much you need forgiveness, you know. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, that's kind of sounds like the like the Lord's inheritance, doesn't it? Because in Psalm 2, the father says to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. All nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And we shall walk in his paths He will teach us his ways, we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So this is becoming our song of ascent. We're going up into the mountain of the Lord. As we embrace our journey, as we allow the Lord to take us higher, deeper, through death and into resurrection, we're going up into the mountain of the Lord. This is the mountain that's been being established over all the other mountains. You've been assigned a place in the mountain of the Lord, and it's an eternal place. You have an inheritance in the mountain of the Lord. You get to share in the inheritance of Jesus because we are his heirs and co heirs. We are heirs of God, co heirs with Jesus of his inheritance. So you have an assigned place. Romans 8.12 says, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now let's apply that to our carnal nature. You know, the carnal nature that died on the cross still would like to live, right? And so every time we get tempted to, to respond to our carnal nature... We're feeding something that's legally dead. We're communicating with something that's dead. Did you know that necromancy is forbidden in the kingdom? Stop communicating with your old nature. It was put on the cross. It was put to death, and you have no business even communicating with it. You need to respond to your new nature. Every time you make a decision to follow your new nature instead of your old one, you're disempowering that old thing, and you're empowering the life of God in you. Remember, you're a portal. And the more you access the kingdom rather than that old uh, pit of hell that was in you before, which is really what it was, the more you empower your new life, the more you're opening that portal that where the angels of God ascend and descend upon you and through you, around you, and you're not only making decisions that affect you, you're making decisions that affect all of those around you. And if you're a head of household, the decisions that you make affect everyone in your household. You're either opening doors or closing doors by the actions and the decisions that you make. It's kind of scary, in a good way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So as the more that you choose life to follow in obedience to the voice of God, the more of the life of God is going to come into you. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit are growing up And they're manifesting sonship. They're revealing the heart and the nature of Jesus to a lost and dying world. They're able to be used by Holy Spirit to bring divine appointments into people's lives that are already scheduled by the Father in heaven. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. The wind blows where it wishes, Jesus said in John 3, and you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We're able to be used with divine appointments in people's lives. Uh, we're, we're having to kind of readjust our whole way we do things recent, in recent years because it's become so real to us that we have to be open to the Holy Spirit's schedule for our life. And I don't mean just for big things. I mean for little day-to-day things. Because life and death can actually hang in the balance for somebody if we're available to be used of God in a situation. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, where's that if? If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. We don't like that word, do we? Suffer. How many of you really like that word, suffer? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. The Lord can bring us to a place where we embrace suffering because we're participating in something that brings us deeper and deeper into more intimacy with Christ. We're fellowshipping in his sufferings. It doesn't feel you know, it only it hurts the worst in the beginning when there's more of your flesh left to hurt. Right? But when we choose to live our life for Him, we're willing to pay a price to walk with Him. After a while, it uh, doesn't hurt nearly as bad as it did before. not saying it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't hurt near as bad. We are all called to glory. Glorified sons and daughters are radically obedient to follow Him wherever He goes. I don't know about you, but My passion is to live a radically obedient life to the Lord. I don't want there to be any limits on what God can use me for. I don't want what may be the only regret that we experience in heaven to be my experience. And that is for me to see what I could have done if I would have been completely obedient to everything he asked of me what could have been possible. To have the Lord tell us, I had all of this planned for you, but when you made these choices, I couldn't take you where I had planned for you to go. When you limited yourself here because of your fear, I couldn't take you everywhere that I had planned for you to go. We're going to re- prepare to receive communion together. But as we do, I just want to, i like us to stand and I want to pray with us all. Jesus, today we celebrate your death and resurrection. We celebrate that morning 2,000 years ago when the tomb that they put your body in became a womb that resurrected you into a new life, into a whole new existence, a whole new experience, a whole new reality. And we recognize today that we were in you, Jesus, when you resurrected when you died and when you resurrected. We were in you. There's something of that resurrection life that every one of us gets to participate in. That wasn't just a historical reality, but it's a present tense reality for every son and daughter that you bring into your presence. So today we're so, we're so glad that you were willing to give your life for us. And we're asking you today to show us any area of our life where we have limited what you can do in us and through us. And we give you permission right now to declare war on anything in our life that's kept us from fulfilling all that you've called us to, all that you've created us for. We declare that all of your enemies are under your feet, and we ask for that to be our experience in reality, in this life, in this journey. Wherever we've been limited by fear, by doubt and unbelief, by an unhealthy perspective of ourselves, by any fake humility that we inherited from religious cultures that says, who am I, that the Lord should use me like that. We repent of all of that. We come out of agreement with everything, every limiting factor that has kept us from living into all that you've called us to. I declare today, Father, that this is a room full of world changers that within this room is enough power to change the world. That within these sons and daughters is enough potential to trigger a worldwide revival. If you could do it through 12, you could do it even more through this room full of people. And I ask for a great awakening to come into our hearts, into our, just like that the earthquake came and that tomb opened up, that every one of us would be hit with a divine earthquake and a tomb opening up inside of us and resurrection life pouring forth and you being able to use sons and daughters from this place to go to the nations of the world and to change the destiny of people groups and to open up new avenues of your gospel to go everywhere where people are hungry and reaching that we would be willing to pay any price to lay down our life to serve the one who gave his life for us. Let a radical... Missionary anointing come on every son and daughter in this place. Whether we ever leave this country or not, a radical anointing to carry the gospel of the kingdom every into every interaction that we have. Every uh, meeting that we have. Every time we go to a store. Every time we go to a workplace. Every time... Uh, we connect with friends, that the reality of your presence, the life-transforming reality of your presence would so envelop us that we could radically uh, release kingdom atmosphere into every broken place. Your word says that wherever you go, there is no darkness. So we declare wherever we go, there is no darkness because we come as the light of the world because of the one who lives within us. And I thank you, Father, for that reality of resurrection life and power for every one of us. We declare the defeat of all depression, of all discouragement. We declare the defeat of everything that's tormented the minds of your sons and daughters. We command all torment to be broken off. Everyone who's been experiencing headaches... And oppression and, and uh, sleeplessness, we command that to be broken off the sons and daughters of the Lord in Jesus' name. And let there come a spirit of of encouragement. Let there come uh, the fire of God and all of your sons and daughters. And I ask, the Lord, that you would begin to launch every one of us into personal revival that we would not sit back and wait for revival to break out in the masses somewhere, that we would be willing to experience personal revival, every one of us, so every one of us can be a trigger for a manifestation of God in the lives of hungry people. We're not going to be content. We're not going to sit back. And God forbid that any of us would sit on the sidelines and watch you move to bring revival to our nation and the nations, in Jesus' name. Today, Jesus, let the glory of God visit every family. As we have Easter dinner together, whatever our family events are, let the glory of God come and divine appointments break loose. And Jesus, would you make yourself known as we break bread together? And now as we receive the bread and the wine, the juice, however we're led. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave us your broken body. We remember what it cost you so that we can be whole, so that our families can be healed, our minds can be healed, our memories can be healed, so that our nation can be healed. And as we receive this cup, we thank you for the new covenant in your blood. We receive it with joy and gladness. Thank you, Jesus, that you poured out all that you had for us. All that we can do is receive it and say thank you. And remember what it cost you. And then we remember that we're part of a universal body of Christ. That there's believers in places like Iran Iran, and Afghanistan and North Korea and China that are paying a horrible price for their faith. We ask you to strengthen them. We recognize that we are one body with them and we honor them today for their faith. And we ask that you would help them to stand strong, that they would never bow their knee to the enemy that they would stand strong and give glory to Jesus till their dying breath. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to come and receive communion with your family. Join with someone.